Hello and welcome to Runway Girl Network in Conversation, a deep dive into aviation and the passenger experience. I'm RGN contributing editor John Walton, and today I'm in conversation with Aaron Yong, a design partner at Lyft Aero Design, based in Singapore and specialising in airline interiors and branding. Aaron, welcome to In Conversation. Thank you for having me. How are things in Singapore? Besides the sweat rolling down my cheeks yeah it's everything's fine uh compared to the rest of the world we can't really complain at this point as far as the numbers game goes we've got it pretty good compared to the rest of the world and we're at the point where the only way up with the only way is up right now i think there were fears of a second wave and didn't really happen so yeah i must admit to a little bit of envy sitting here in <laughs> in the area of france that is well, yeah. in some ways, one of the epicenters of the second the second wave mm. here. Um, we're uh, at the very end of October recording this, and we're looking very much like we're going to be in um, another at least four-week-long lockdown. Um, but, you know, we managed the first time. We shall manage again. Mm-hmm. Um, you will, you, know, you will, definitely. Humans, humans are a, a resilient people. Um, Absolutely. And, uh, you know, as, as indeed is, is the aviation industry. Um, now, with uh, you know, Singapore is not alone in Asia in in having a relatively um, uh, relatively greater level of control over over the situation. Um, and I'm seeing a number of air corridors um, that have been opening, and so one of them is um, between Hong Kong and Singapore. Um, can Can you tell us a little bit about that for for our listeners who might not be uh, up to date with what's happening on 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 your your side of the world? Yeah. So, well, they have actually Singapore has actually established. Uh, several uh, so-called um, travel corridors with a few countries uh, in the last few months. Um, I think we've got one with uh, New Zealand, although that one's not mutual. Uh, some are, yeah, and that's the other, that's, that's the other thing. So some are unilateral and some are, some are mutual. And uh, so we've just, I think the latest news was that we established one with Germany as well. Um, we've got one with, uh, a, a one with Japan was announced, uh, Malaysia, China. But the interesting thing about the Hong Kong one is that it's the first one that is not f- just for essential travel. And that's a big game changer. So for all the other uh, travel corridors that have been announced or arranged, uh, you basically, um, it's it's kind of making a, a a really, really inconvenient situation, just just that little bit less inconvenient by kind of speeding up the process. There's still uh, testing and what have you. And but at the end of the day, you can't, you should not be traveling, and and they advise against it. It's unless you absolutely have to for essential business. With the Hong Kong announcement, what they've, what they're basically saying is, uh, well, and they haven't set the date yet, by the way. But when they do. Um, they will be allowing uh, leisure travel, and I, th- I believe that Hong Kong will be the first uh, destination to have this this sort of um, non-essential travel corridor open up with Singapore. I, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure Singapore is pretty anxious to get as many going as possible, you know, because as a, as a city with um, no hinterland, no domestic market, a country with no domestic market, no domestic travel whatsoever, it's, it's really, really important that we uh, open the borders um, and international travel as quickly as possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, so what's the situation if you do have to arrive into Singapore right now? Is it a full test and quarantine uh, protocol? Yeah. Yes. So basically, uh, to give you a quick rundown of how it's been since the borders de facto closed, uh, 
all Singaporeans, uh, basically anyone arriving into Singapore since uh, I think it was uh, May, April or May, um, has had to go um, undergo a mandatory uh, 14-day quarantine. Now, this quarantine—it's—it's—it's it's, it's an actual quarantine, unlike—and it's not a—it's not a, a self-quarantine like a lot of countries are doing. It, you're literally whisked away from the airport into a hotel room that's been set up just in a in a hotel that has already been designated as a quarantine uh, uh, location, and you literally cannot leave the room for that 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 two-week period. Um, and so it is pretty strict. Uh, that's it's all laid out. That's what your people are expecting. Tons of Singaporeans were returning and they had to all go through this. It's all um, paid for by the government, provided you are returning, having left Singapore before COVID erupted. So if you decided to, so basically that's the, the other thing is, if you've decided to leave, nothing's really stopping you from leaving right now. Our borders, um, uh, there's n- there's no law saying you can't go on holiday right now to anywhere you want it that would have you. Uh, but the catch is that on your arrival, on your return, sorry, you would have to foot the bill of that quarantine in a hotel for two weeks on your own. Um, and in addition to that, up until recently, I think it was they just announced a, a revisal of this. Um, if you were to contract COVID, you would not be entitled to uh, subsidized health care, uh, which you would if you had not voluntarily uh, gone abroad and come home with the virus. Right. So that's that's basically how it stands, and that's 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 what Singaporeans have been, are looking at have been looking at for the last few months, and all not just Singaporeans, but anyone who's um, wanted to come to Singapore uh, for whatever reason. And so, uh, if you basically you have to really want to come into Singapore to be putting up with that uh, that two week um, hotel stay, mm-hmm. it's not. Uh, I I know that in some countries they. Uh, most and most countries, I, th- I think they, they they you declare a place that you're going to quarantine yourself, and uh, you're expected to um, stay there uh, of your own accord. But in Singapore, it's it's pretty um, it's pretty uh, micromanaged in that respect. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, that sounds um, in terms of the hotel and the um, the lock-in aspect, yes. as it were. That sounds a lot like the Australian and New Zealand um, kind yes. of situation. Um, but uh, but yeah, look, it's 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 strict, and and to be honest, that's probably why your rate is significantly less than many of the rates in other yeah. countries, which have not had there, quite so strict a set of lockdowns. There was a spike uh, a few months ago in in the foreign worker dormitories, mm-hmm. which basically sent the national numbers soaring because you know it's it's really um, close quarters, and and um, and it really shone. A light on the conditions that uh, these people are living in, and you know, all it took was a couple of people to get it, and and it really, the, the numbers just balloon from there. And so that's, I think that that was something that they were really focused on on bringing down, and they actually have to give them credit. So uh, the numbers as it stands, we literally like um, in Singapore, you you can subscribe to government updates via WhatsApp, via Telegram. And you literally, they will, they will text you every day and tell you what, what the latest COVID count was for the day. And you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to look at my, my government message. <laughs> this is a very right Singaporean now. thing. And I absolutely yes, love it. <laughs> I, 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 
Okay, and it literally says here, as of 12 p.m., the Ministry has, of Health has preliminarily confirmed that there are no new cases of locally transmitted COVID-19 infection. There are seven imported cases who had all been placed on a stay-home notice upon arrival in Singapore. Yeah, so I think they've they've relaxed that um, that sort of uh, big scary hotel stay now, and I think um, it's that's mostly in exceptional circumstances. I think depending on the country where they've come from, they will they will assess it, and and I think quite a few people will fall into the category of of just being um, for uh, being uh, told to stay home. Um, and then they just check up on you and things like that. So it's been it, it's um, um, whatever uh, some may think of of the measures, they've definitely been effective. The numbers speak for themselves, I think. And um, it's I think um, and and um, it's it's unfortunate to to make the comparison, but um, seeing some parts of the world like Europe and 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 North America uh, start having numbers go up again at this point. Um, really puts into perspective, I think. Um, so people are uh, uh, people here are understanding. They they we I think we generally uh, get that all of this is necessary, and we've also kind of got like phases. So there was that full on lockdown thing that happened for about a couple of months. That was April and May, where we were literally you couldn't go out of the house unless you unless it's for something really important or to for groceries. And then there was phase one where it was very gradual, like a few people started going back to work. But other than that, it was almost the same as a lockdown. Then phase two, which we're still living in right now, which is which feels like business as usual, except that um, everything has to shut down by 10.30 p.m. And there's enforced distancing, like um, uh, government mandated distancing at all restaurants, uh, shops, everything. And mm-hmm. it's it's kind of become... I think people have started getting used to it. Yeah. 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 And it's interesting because in, in that context, um, you have Singapore Airlines, for example, which is trying to do a lot of, um, uh, as much as it can to, to, mm. to keep flying, um, including with the return and the extension of the world's longest flight, um, from, which was previously from Singapore Changi to Newark uh, across the Hudson River from New York, but it's now going to JFK. Um, obviously, with... with the uh, arrival situation in Singapore pretty complicated. That's that's going to do something to demand. Um, so, what do you think about this whole situation? Um, who's who's going to be flying this, or is it really just a a cargo flight with a few passengers on board? Well, it's interesting you mentioned the cargo thing because, I, from what I understand, uh, a, a one of the factors for them choosing JFK instead of Newark is that they have uh, SIA has their own uh, uh, or they have a cargo handling facility in JFK that they don't in new york and it's it's um pretty easy it's pretty safe to assume that um cargo makes up a a a big chunk of the reason to be flying this route like everything i've everything i've said leading up to this like laying it out what all the barriers that are in place it you can see how (laughs) you won't exactly have a lot of visitors to singapore um the other way around is actually, uh, from uh, from what I understand, correct me if I'm wrong, but the U.S. is not, the U.S. hasn't closed its borders to a lot of countries, actually, have they? Like, they're not... No, I mean, that would be bolting the stable door, but in, in only one direction and in the wrong direction. <laughs> yeah. It? So, you, you, I mean, technically, there's nothing really stopping me from 
hopping on that flight uh, right now to go to New York, my wallet notwithstanding. So <laughs> if you, but if you wanted to come the other way, that you have to be prepared for for what's on the other end, and and obviously uh, Singapore is not going to be adding <laughs> the US to any travel corridor arrangement anytime soon. No. But uh, it's it is interesting that they've that they've chosen to reinstate that route. It's also interesting that they've um, uh, the the route is technically a bit longer than the New York one, mm-hmm. uh, but they're from what I understand they are not declaring it their longest route in their in their um, route network, uh, and and that that distinction is, stays with the Newark. Uh, flights yeah i I mean i think it's it's, all about what five kilometers more or whatever yeah but they Um, they've basically done a a bit of a bit of uh scheduling tweaking to such that uh on a technicality that the the ewr flight is 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 still the technically the longest oh it's um, time blocked for longer rather than okay yes it's like five minutes longer on paper (laughs) Well, I mean, and that makes sense on paper because, look, if you're going to fill a plane, even, mm-hmm. you know, one of their, um, you know, uh, all business plus a bit of premium economy um, ULR aircraft rather than this, which is going to be the regular standard A350. It is, yes. Um, you know, even if, you, if, if, if you're going to fill a plane, it's going to take an extra five minutes to get people on and off, I guess. Um but uh, but yeah, it's it is amusing to me that they've that they've decided that no, you yeah. know what's important here is to make sure that our that our, yes. our world record flight is still yes. is still the flagship. There. They don't have to make any revisions to their their flagship uh, press material or anything. And yeah, it is interesting that they're using the uh, the uh, the standard range A350 with the three class configuration because well, the first thing that came to my mind was that they're obviously not expecting a full load of passengers and so they can afford uh, the payload restrictions that might come with such a route on that aircraft and not as opposed to the the ULR version um it, it probably doesn't matter very much at this point what what the what the cabin configuration is uh, because it's it's not it's not going to be full either way right um, uh, yeah. But yeah, it's, and it's it's interesting that they've, that they've put that in place rather than doing something like the um, the onward hop from Frankfurt as the mm-hmm. uh, as the option, which is what um, what in in the before times um, that's what they used to do with the A380s, right? The A380s would go to Frankfurt, yes. and one of the A380s would would do that um, that extra hop on to to JFK. Um, and yeah, it's 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 fascinating to me that that's that that they decided that New York is going to be the the destination, and I, you know, obviously. I wonder if that's got something to do with the, you know, the United Nations is there, and if they're doing anything around, um, you know, there's been a, um, a request from your your you know, Ministry of Foreign Affairs to basically provide a way for essential Singaporeans to travel to continue to travel, um, yeah. or whether there is indeed that incoming demand. I mean, Singapore's importance as an, you know, an Asian and particularly Southeast Asian financial centre has has only been growing in recent years. And, you know, it seems to me that there could well be people who um, uh, whose companies say, actually, you know what, we do need you in Singapore for the next mm-hmm. three months, four months, five months, and Zoom just isn't going to cut it. So, <laughs> um, so you know, we'll, we'll here's your medical card yeah. and a large pile of cash. Um, <laughs> well, well, it is interesting, actually, that you that you mentioned the Frankfurt, uh, the, the Fifth Freedom flight, because, um that probably, uh, if you think that, uh, if you think about it, um, 
in in the era of COVID, where you're basically trying to um, avoid as much uh, sort of crowded contact as possible, uh, obviously non-stop flights are preferable to ones with uh, transits. And so, if you, uh, I, I suppose, if you want to go to New York from Singapore, uh, and and you want the the lowest COVID risk possible, I mean, you definitely wouldn't want to be transiting in Europe right now. Um, uh, I, I I don't I'm not necessarily saying uh, Frankfurt is is a risky place to be transiting, but uh, it certainly I think it, it would factor in, and uh, I think the traffic between um, Europe and and the US, of course, they they I mean obviously these are people we're we're all just um, armchair speculating at this point, but yeah, mm. it's, it definitely I think the the transit factor um, in the age of COVID is definitely um important to consider yeah uh, and um, i think the all, all the all the european flights as well as as far as i know uh have all been down gauged to a350s as well actually they i believe they recently announced i think it was last month that the their route network for december and i think they've reinstated quite a few european destinations like the the slightly thinner routes like copenhagen and and uh, amsterdam uh, so that's also encouraging for, I mean, for the industry in general, really. Yeah. That it yeah. seems to be picking up. Well, indeed. Um, you know, just um, fingers crossed that the second wave um, starts to plateau swiftly. So that so that's going to be, you know, an option because, um, look, obviously we're coming up to the Christmas holidays. But, um, mm -hmm. you know, it's it's not like uh, any allotment was made for changes to protocols for aid or um, like there's a lot going to be made for Diwali or indeed, you know, some slightly earlier mm -hmm. this year, Hanukkah. Um, so it's really, you know, it's one of those things where we're um, trying to figure out exactly what what each family should and, and, and can do. Um, yes. So, yeah, and it's, it's this whole question of, um, you know, in-cabin safety is a fascinating one. Um, obviously, over the last month or so, we had... Um, a spate of um, uh, research, whether that was pre-published or pre-submitted or um, uh, study of studies sort of research looking at the early um, uh, transmission of, of, of COVID-19 within cabins and within among travelling groups. Um, some of which basically said, well, we haven't been able to detect anything, um, at which point Iata, of course, turns around and says, flying is safer than, you're less likely <laughs> to, be, to be infected than be struck by lightning, um, which, you know, I, I think was perhaps an unhelpful intervention um, in terms of, uh, in terms of, of, of safety. Um, now, of course, we have um, a growing number of studies which are um, either funded by the aviation industry saying it's perfectly fine or, or not, and... Uh, flagging up some some issues so for example you have the um the case uh, of a of a flight into ireland which was i believe there was something like 49 people on board um of whom 13 uh, are known to have contracted the exact same mm. uh, genomic uh, identifier variant of of covid-19 and the only commonality of these people who came from three separate continents and transited in an airport that is probably Doha, uh, but was not identified. Um, uh, the only thing that they had in common was the fact that they took this one flight. Now, of course, we don't know whether it was that they, you know, were, were too close in the boarding gate area. One assumes that that's been adequately spaced or 
um, that, that you know perhaps they were all in the queue in Dublin for an hour, which again doesn't seem hugely likely. It seems much more likely that this was on aircraft. But um, you know, all all of that means that the cabin is still an, an area of of much question right now. Yeah. Um, now you, you're a cabin designer. Um, Obviously, we've seen a lot of cabins over the recent years trying to avoid that, avoid that kind of wall of beige, uh, which is the you know the exposed <laughs> thermoplastics in giant sheets, which are, I suppose, mm. rather inherently easy to to, to clean. Um, and now people are wanting, you know, rather than a sort of broken up cabin, um, to to see. A, a, a visible lack of <laughs> of dirtiness, yes. uh, you know, <laughs> visibly clean is the trend, but it's you know trying to trying to see something that isn't there. Um, how what what's that looking like for you? How are you addressing that as a designer? Well, I think from our end, uh, a lot of it. Well, first of all, a lot of it that we're working on is at this point is a lot of blue skies work because uh, it's all happened so quickly. It's not and and. In the first place, one has to realize and remember that with the industry in recovery mode, uh, spending on design features, cabin enhancements, uh, physical cabin enhancements uh, is going to be taking a backseat for a while as far as airlines, as far as airline spending goes. But for us in, in, in the design world, we definitely want to put forth um, some ideas where we are taking that show that we're taking uh, people's fears into consideration. And the thing is that there's so much flying around, uh, pardon the pun, that, that, that <laughs> there's, there's too many, there are too many different opinions on what constitutes uh, a safe environment, a clean environment, because we know that uh, what you see isn't necessarily uh, representative of how, sanitary uh, a surface in an aircraft might be um, but on the other hand it is important psychologically for the passenger to feel like they are in a very clean space now at this point like i said because not a lot of um, immediate work is going to be happening uh, to aircraft interiors it really comes down to what airlines can do with what they already have and some some interior designs will certainly lend themselves better to appearing clean uh, than others. Uh, some, unfortunately, and this will be a lesson for, for designers in the future, uh, some, unfortunately, will have designs or colors or patterns that no matter how sanitary, how sanitized, how uh, spotlessly clean they are, will always kind of look a little bit grubby because of you know just harmless wear and tear and and that will uh, that will certainly be something to take into consideration uh, for designs going forward because even um, outside of a COVID context uh, it all these things do matter we do think about these things already um, when we're designing cabins pre-pandemic uh, you know how long will this will this hold up will this carpet hold up how long will this fabric hold up is it going it, it looks beautiful now is it going to look as beautiful in a year after thousands of cycles. Um, and when you compound that with people's um, heightened sensitivities to, you know, uh, perceived dirtiness, perceived uncleanliness, 
then all of that becomes even more important. It's important in, in the sort of, I mean, there's a lot of talk in, uh, as far as industrial design goes, as to what sort of um, arrangements we can have, what sort of, sort of, um, you know, privacy screens and, and, and isolation, sort of isolating designs that you can do. But the CMF aspect is also really important. And so when it comes down to the choices of, uh, colors, materials, uh, that all, all of that has to be given, I think, even more priority than, uh, even more consideration than it did before. And, and it also is a reminder, I think that this is, well, in aviation, this is always a long game, right? Because the, the process, the gestation period for, for any new product is so long that, uh, by the time, you know, where, we're literally, um, we, uh, are lift included, um, are in are caught in the middle of, of projects that were well underway b before the pandemic broke out and will be completed after the pandemic, after, realistically speaking, after a vaccine has been developed. So uh, that's just the, um, um, working within these challenges of, of our timeframes and, you know, is, is, is always at the back of our minds. Um, a lot of the proposals that have been put out there, they're, there are some really interesting proposals out there by uh, different design agencies and uh, all to varying degrees of, of um, uh, I, I should say, realistic um, potential. But uh, yeah, I think from our perspective and what we're not seeing enough, I think, is that focus on perception because on the back end we know um, at least we in the aviation industry know and we have faith in in our colleagues across the industry that they're doing everything they can to create a safe and clean environment for their passengers um, it's their environment as well and 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 we know that they're going it's going to be clean it's going to be as clean as they can make it let's put it that way and but convincing the customer is a different uh, it's a different ball game, and so that's where I think design can really help. Uh, and the cho what, how, how we've chosen to design something that might not even be very different, but uh, you know, things like uh, even a simple material choice, for example. I think people uh, will pick. I think passengers, the average passenger, will pick up, for example, that. Uh, leather or even faux leather is definitely easier to clean than fabric, uh, than a textile. And that you can imagine this going into play in, in someone's mind when they're sitting, climbing into, clambering into a seat and, and, and sitting down and wondering to themselves, just how clean is this seat? How much dust is it harboring? Have they really cleaned this as effectively as they can? If it's a smooth surface like leather it's that a bit of that goes away because it's it's a bit um uh easier for the passenger passenger in their own layman's terms to uh adjudge the situation and and to decide for themselves whether they think it's clean or not yeah and in many way cases to to take their either their airline provided alcohol wipe or their, you know, Naomi mm -hmm. Campbell style um, Dettol wipe that they've yeah. brought from home to, uh, to, 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 exactly. to take it into their own hands. And that's, and that's, yeah, that, that, that's an interesting, um, 
point as well because I think there was a bit of um, hesitance. I can understand the the hesitance at first to provide uh, cleaning kits like that uh, in the beginning because it kind of you do run the risk of um, of insinuating that additional cleaning steps are needed, right? So it's kind of like you know the if you analogous of of should a train have seat belts if you 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 could add a seat belt and probably make it safer but if i did add a seat belt to the train you probably feel left safe because you're wondering why do i need a seat belt in the first place um so it is and i think that providing uh you know little little sanitary kits sanitizing kits for people um it, i think most people will appreciate them some people might take it the wrong way but i think that was, I think, at first, that that was what I was thinking at first, and I think uh, some people in in the industry were a bit concerned about that. But at this point, but then you reach the point where if if most airlines are giving them out, you don't want to be the airline that isn't, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it's 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 kind of the same with um, the actual you know, onboard cleaning protocols. Um, I mean, we've seen a couple of airlines this year. Um, you know, they're, they're, they they missed, for example, a, a you know, something in the seat back pocket. Um, and then, you know, people get on the airplane and they think, hang on, why is there something in the seat back pocket? How did this get missed? And what does that mean for the rest of the cleaning protocol? Right. Um, yeah. And and that's that's really interesting to me is in terms of how that um, you can easily spot if something is dirty. You can't easily tell if something is cleaned. Exactly. Right. It could just have been missed or skipped, um, and I think that's going to be that's going to be really interesting. I mean, we've seen a lot of um, designers and and suppliers talking about um, sort of, uh, using antimicrobial um, methods, whether that's an apple, uh, an applied coating, or whether it's something that's um, you know. Sort of, created inherently in the material during its manufacture um but then how do you then flag up to passengers that oh this is a whatever it is in terms of the um in terms of the actual material um how do you flag them say actually yes this is um a a safer material um this is this material mm-hmm. is itself antimicrobial um and then how, how does that then affect what people do to it right um, yes. If part of the of, of one of the reasons why we might be being safer is that you are the people are still you know inherently wearing masks because it makes sense and they're you know avoiding doing the the anecdotal thing where you know people will you know bring a coffee and then spend the entire flight drinking their coffee and just not put their mask back on. <laughs> um, you know, uh, it's, look, it's, it's this kind of perverse incentive situation, yeah. um, and so you know you end up sort of thinking, well, okay. What are the ways to communicate this in the best, um, I guess, almost an industrial psychology way, um, yeah. and how to design both the, uh, the 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 item, the structure, the seat, whatever it is, um, and figure out how passengers are going to use it, and then how you uh, explain it to passengers is it feels like that's more important than ever. Oh, definitely, yeah. Yeah. I mean, assuming assuming we can we have the opportunity to to get a new product to market, for example, that's 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 uh, a new seating product to market that's designed with all of this in mind. Uh, I think visual cues for uh, 
uh, certain things that set it apart from uh, something in the past that hasn't considered uh, sanitization and cleanliness uh, so heavily are important for the passenger. So, and it can be as simple as even um, the use of color, for example, uh, with with mood lighting, with with certain hues like blue, for example, is 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 a much more um, uh, clinical color normally, and and it's not usually the f- something you'd go for when you want to uh, suggest warmth. But in a time when people are concerned about um, hygiene, it's certainly a a, a more desirable um, thing to be clinical of of all things. And and uh, I think you mentioned um, highlighting to people whether or not a material was. Uh, I guess you could say special in any way, um, slightly better for for hygiene in any way, antimicrobial or what, or or whatever. And uh, you know that there's lots of ways to go about that. Um, I I personally tend to gravitate towards the least uh, environmentally impactful option because it's very it's very easy to say okay so now we're gonna now we're gonna give everyone a little card that says your your seat has is is been specially designed um, to with all this in mind from an antibacterial uh, fabric that you know cl- practically cleans itself and and so and and or or and and you know we our flight attendant and we clean this wipe this plane down every few hours but um but I think there are smarter ways to do that I think um, with the use of technology and and with um, design cues as well. Uh, that kind of you could have sort of you know you could could be something as simple as having permanently printed um, elements on or permanently uh, or, or debossed elements of the seating product that state its uh, its function that state its uh, antibacterial properties or something you know there's there's a lot of there's a lot to explore there. I think, and also when it comes to design, uh, like I think uh, the topic of nesting came up uh, recently in in where we're where we're a bit more sensitive now as to all these different nooks and crannies in in that previously were purposefully designed to give you more more space, more places to put your things, more ways to hide yourself from the next passenger. Now they are a bit of a liability because they are all possibly uh, dirt and bacteria trapping uh, places. And so future designs, I think, are also going to keep that in mind, have a bit less complex surfaces uh, and not just less complex in their construction, but visibly so, so that the passenger can see that this is easy to clean. This is, you know, there aren't any going to be hidden surfaces here and there. Uh, And... Like I said, yeah, uh, treat it with with whatever design decisions in in color and material to to reassure the passenger. I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. It's all it's all fascinating just to to think about how designers are going to be incorporating this in in both the current generation of seats, which are you know really as you say in production and will be produced during mm-hmm. and after this pandemic, but also exactly. the, the the next round of design seats. Um, fascinating stuff. Now, this is already a bit of a bumper episode, but I, I wanted to end on a, on a bit of a fun note. So in Singapore, 
Singapore Airlines has been doing <laughs> all sorts of things around reminding people of the passenger experience. So um, let's let's talk about that first. Let's let's talk about the on-ground dining experience that they've been offering. Aaron, Aaron tell us about this because it sounds it sounds great to me. I'm not going to lie. I wish I could tell you from a first-hand experience, first of all, but alas, I could not stomach the asking price. It is quite, but it is, uh, to be fair, as, as far as novelties go, it's, it's, I think it's a pretty good use <laughs> of a grounded plane. Uh, I think it really sheds a lot of light onto uh, the plight of an airline that has no domestic market to speak of um, when borders are closed, right? So they really have to go all out and, and be pretty creative. Yep. Uh, and they're, they're literally just sort of parking a Singapore Airlines A380 mm-hmm. at a gate at Changi, boarding people on it and giving them dinner. And it's interesting that, yeah, I mean, like not any, not just any airline could do this, right? You have to have, um, and, and I guess this is what separates certain airlines um, that capitalize on the, on the experience a lot. And uh, it really comes into play even when the, the plane is not even flying, even when you're not even going to a destination because they've built the brand so strongly that the mere experience of being on a Singapore Airlines flight in a Singapore Airlines cabin being served by Singapore Airlines crew um, is considered desirable on some level. Um, and so not every airline could pull this off. They also have the hard product to back it up. Um, they have uh, they they uh, deployed their their latest A three D product and uh, rightfully so they'd want to show it off uh, and I think it was a great strategy for a lot of people who otherwise might not get a chance to fly this even if you're someone who does fly regularly uh, if you you may be a well healed individual but you may not necessarily be on these limited routes that this specific product flies on uh, you might not find yourself ever in that business class seat, which is the best one, in, which is the most up-to-date one in SQ's fleet, uh, even even uh, frequent business travelers, might it still might be new to them. So it was, I think it was a, a great opportunity for them to show off the hard product. The food aspect, of course, that's, that's, um, that's also a way for them to show off um, what they can do with the in-flight dining experience. But uh, I think, uh, to be honest, most people are really really bought into it because of the fact that it was on a plane uh, and of all planes the flagship of one of the most highly regarded airlines in the world so we all know by now that the, the prices are not cheap <laughs> they were um but and again you're paying for the novelty and i think uh, and let's keep in mind that it's they did sell out really quickly uh the entire pl- uh, all four cabins all four classes were on sale so you could be paying something like 60 singapore dollars uh for an economy class experience all the way up to i think uh uh, don't quote me on this but i think five to six hundred singapore dollars for a sweets experience so yeah and and uh i think it was you know it's the best they could have done with the situation they you mentioned the chris shop as well that they've uh, definitely capitalized on as well, and it's all sold through there. Of course, these are things that airlines have been doing for years, but now um, the catch is uh, that they've opened up a lot of, like, well, Chris Shop, for example, which is their in flight duty free uh, catalog, which also has a website uh, that also does home deliveries, has been f- focusing a lot more on the home delivery side during COVID because that's 
another because uh, not a lot of duty free right now. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so opening up a lot of the retail opportunities for that normally were reserved for in-flight sales. Now they're giving like things, even things uh, like liquor and uh, uh, electronics that normally would be subject to duties. Uh, they would be selling them um, domestically in Singapore. Um, and absorbing a lot of the costs as well. And so tr basically incentivizing people to keep engaging with the airline brand, with the airline, with the airline product, uh, you know, on the, on, on the face of it, I myself have, have been happy to, 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 to order from them because, uh, you, you get, it's kind of the best of both worlds. You know, you don't have to fly and you still get your, your mileage perks or whatever. Um, and, and of course the, everything is, priced pretty aggressively in this time uh, so they're doing whatever they can and, and it's quite understandable uh, especially yeah. for an airline like i said that does that hasn't got any domestic market to sustain them through this period yeah yeah yeah, yeah and, and to me it's fascinating about how the the brand equity which the airline has invested and let's be very clear this is a financial investment as well as a, a exactly as, as anything else um over the years you know even if that's you know going back all the way to you know the the 1969 Pierre Balmain uh, Saron Kabai addresses, right, which I think is probably the, the greatest um, uh, investment in, in a piece of uh, airline branding ever, right? You know, it's a, the same year as Concorde, which is outlasted, the same year as 747, which it's outlasted. Um, it's, it's, it's fascinating to me how much benefit that it has been very clear that that can bring to an airline in a time of crisis. Um, and I think that's something for... You know, once we all once we all get flying again, hopefully, hopefully next year, fingers crossed. Um, yeah. You know, once and once things start to, um, you know, re return to not even return to once once we start to find where the new normal is, um, and 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 airlines start to 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 think about how they position themselves, how they um, how they discover who they are in in the, the post COVID world, um, and who their travellers are, and who their customers are. Um, that's certainly something to think about. Um, and, exactly. and Aaron, thank you. It's been a very, uh, very thought-provoking conversation today. Listeners, we certainly hope that you've enjoyed it, and we're always keen to find out what you think. Please feel free to email me at john at runawaygirlnetwork.com with any suggestions. Aaron, thank you for joining us today. Uh, where can folks continue the conversation with you online? Well, I'm on most socials at, at Aaron Samuel Young. That's my name spelled out. And we're also with Lyft at lyft.aero. It's exactly how it sounds. Uh, we've got some interesting products in the pipeline. We can't wait to share. Uh, it, it's, it's a bit, it's unusual to be optimistic in this time, but, but we are, we are looking, we are looking on the bright side and we're looking forward to sharing what we've been working on with the world as soon as we can. Uh, and hopefully that we, we really stand in solidarity with everyone in aviation, you know, and depending on, on what job you are employed with, it can be it can range from mildly inconvenienced to extremely tough. And so uh, our thoughts go out to everyone affected mm. by this crisis, in our, especially in our industry as well. Yeah, ours, ours too. Um, as ever, listeners, you can find me on Twitter at that John and everything from RGN on Twitter at Runway Girl and of course at RunwayGirlNetwork.com. If you enjoy these conversations, please do leave a rating and review wherever you get your podcasts. And thanks for listening.